0: Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
2: mothers that curse at you throws things at you raises a hand to you expects you to take care of your 40-year-old brother still expects you to pay bills at her house you know stuff like that there's a there's some extensive situations where we have no choice it's either be abused manipulated and and taken advantage of or not and when a woman is healed enough and loves her loves her family but loves herself more then she's going to choose herself first and she will go no contact if it's an absolute. Welcome to
0: How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us And they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning. If you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello my beautiful friends. Hey everyone. I hope you're good. The mother wound is one of my favourite topics because it's so complex and layered. And I'm a mum. I'm a daughter. My mother was not perfect. I am not perfect. And I see women every day struggling in their relationships with their mothers. And we are 100% taught from birth that mothers are kind, they're loving, they're caring, they want the best for us. They're there to support us. But this is not true for so many women, often because our mothers didn't have good role models themselves or because they were abused or neglected, all the things right. They just did not have the ability to be the mother that we believe we deserved. My guest this week is Michelle Gomez, a leader in helping women to heal from the mother wound. Michelle was valued by her mother when she was being useful, when she was raising her younger brothers, when she was cooking and making her mother's life easier. But the first time in her life that Michelle ever disagreed with her mum, she was thrown out of home. Michelle speaks about the first time she openly shared with other women about her lifelong struggles with her mother and how, as she released the secret that she'd held onto for so long, she received an outpouring from women who were experiencing the exact same issues with their mothers and also feeling very alone. Michelle specialises in working with Latina, Black, Indigenous and other women of colour to heal the mother wound. But every single thing that Michelle shares in this podcast will deeply resonate with all of us. I guarantee it. It definitely did for me. Please join me now for Michelle's story. Michelle Gomez, welcome to the podcast. You are a spiritual life coach and the founder and CEO of Healed Iha, which means Healed Daughters. And you create beautiful sacred spaces for Latina, Black, Indigenous, and other women of color to come together and reconnect to their deep divine power and heal the mother wound, connect to their feminine divinity. And unleash their inner warrior woman. And it sounds so good. Can I ask you first up, what is the Latina mother wound and how do you see it as different to the mother wound of other cultures?
2: Well, um, being a Latina, I can speak to my experience. And so when I talked about the mother wound, there was a lot of about the mother wound that I would read about and heard about. I took a few you know, group courses and worked with a couple of therapists, but I always felt that there was a level of understanding of my relationship to my mother and the things that women in my culture are experiencing when we're being brought up in the world that people outside of our culture just don't understand. And when I started to Unpack all of that and understand it better. It really comes back to some of the systems of oppression that our people have had to live under, which is patriarchy, right? A lot of our people, we were colonized, and so therefore the effects of colon, long term effects of colonization and patriarchy, as well as the use of organized religion, um, all of these systems of oppression really impacted the way. Women particularly are raised in Latino households and being not just a female, but if you're the eldest daughter, it's a totally different experience than maybe the middle child or the baby. There's a lot more pressure on the first gen. We call ourselves first gen because the first generation born here. So my mother was born in Ecuador and I'm the first generation of her born here in the United States. And so, yes, there is the delicate balance of trying to maintain the culture and tradition of your immigrant parents while still trying to thrive in the U.S., being a citizen and having access to resources. You know, the push and pull of the first gen Latina daughter in in the household is very unique. And when someone doesn't understand that experience, it's very hard for them to understand why the dynamic with mama is the way it is. Right. And so when it comes to the Latina mother wound, I'm talking about how the systems of oppression that impacted the way our mothers were taught to raise little girls, then reflect back to us the things that we have to unlearn. Mm. We have to unlearn to normalize patriarchy. We have to unlearn to normalize oppressive teachings of organized religion and purity culture, and even unlearn some of the expectations that we have to carry as the first gen Latina, like we have to graduate from college and go out and be something great and, you know, advance the family. And um, that's a lot of pressure to Mm -hmm. put on, on a daughter. So my perspective of the Latina daughter is not just what most women experience when being raised under the roof. With an emotionally immature or a mother who lack, who is traumatized and lacks lacks self awareness, but you add to that the deep pressure of our culture to raise daughters in a certain way, and that's what you're challenging. It's you're not just challenging mom, you're challenging a whole system.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of pressure there, isn't there? Particularly <clears throat> as you say for the first for the first daughter. What was the relationship like between you and your own mother growing up?
2: With my mother and I, it's very interesting. I felt like I didn't really know she was there. I probably have the most experience with her after my dad left um, because my role role shifted after my dad left. So I just remember her being a, a wife and a mom, but my father was abusive and he was also an alcoholic. And so when he was drinking and... Sleeping with other women, you know, then he would come home angry, frustrated, and he would hurt my mother in front of me. So, a lot of maybe I feel like that may be why I don't rem- have a ton of memories of my mother and I in nurturing moments when I was a child because they were overshadowed by a lot of trauma, right? And I experienced other trauma in my childhood as well. But I recall that about the age of maybe nine. Between eight and 10, for sure, after my dad left, my role changed. I became more of a utility in the, not just with my mom, but in the family dynamic. I'm the first born, uh, you know, uh, of my mom. And my mom's the oldest of her siblings. So her siblings had not had, had not had children, excuse me, the oldest daughter of her siblings. She has an older brother, but she's the first one of her siblings to actually become a mother. So I was the first born. So I'm the first niece, I'm the first grandchild right and as the ba- other babies started coming in so my brothers um my cousins then my role became that of a caregiver so i had to learn early on how to change diapers make bottles calm a child down clean up after a child clean up the house i started learning how to cook i started all those things early on and i noticed that yes i became sort of a part of the system i stopped being a child so a lot of the memories that I have were of being my mom's sort of partner, you know, being, being her partner, but also being very afraid of her because she was being a single mother and dealing with everything she was dealing with on her own. She was very reactive, very stressed out, very anxious. And I, you know, I, we, we were aware of that. I was very aware that I, I had to be hyper vigilant of her moods and sort of anticipate if she's having a good day versus not, but it was, it was very dysregulating in a sense, because I was also left to my own devices for a long time. And I was, I was a latchkey kid, what we know we call here a latchkey kid, where everyone has a key and you stay home alone, you know, for hours while mom's at work, or, you know, you come home from, I remember being in the fifth grade. Coming home with my little brother, he's a kindergartner, and I had a key to my our, our duplex apartment, and we would be home by about three thirty. And my mom didn't get home till about six, and we were just home alone—a ten-year-old and a five-year-old,
1: you know. And we
2: had chores. We had I had to do chores. I had to do my homework. I'd help my brother with his homework, and I had to start the dinner. She would come home and finish the dinner. I was always the one who started it, so that's the that's the role that I remember playing with her, and I remember being that for her for many years, even into my late teens. And that's when things really started to shift because she started dating again and started bringing men around us as children. And I didn't handle that well. I did not handle a man. We had been alone and without a man in our home for so long, other than my little brothers. And that was an adjustment. So when I started to challenge her about this, these men that she was bringing around, She basically kicked me out of my house when I was 19 and I felt very used. I felt very unappreciated. I felt abandoned. And I think that's where my anger really started to started to kick forward because I felt like I had to be sure that I had to make a life for myself where I would never have to ask for her help again. And so that really fueled a lot of my decisions. And we had a, we had a lot of years where, things, things were okay. You know, things were okay, but always with a level of tension, always with a level of, I just don't think we knew each other very well. She knew what I could do for her. She knew what I was capable of, but she didn't know me. She didn't know half of the traumas that I experienced that she wasn't aware of. And she didn't know the resentment that I carried for a very, very long time.
0: Yeah. There's so much going on there for you, isn't there? As a, as a child, there's so much expectation and pressure and how do you think you were actually coping in yourself? I mean, what was your mental health like? Do you think, obviously I know as a child growing up myself, nobody was talking about mental health, but looking back, how would you, how would you rate your mental health at that time?
2: I feel that I, you're absolutely right. Nobody talked about it and i was being um sexually violated by people in our family and around our family at the time and so for a long time i learned to keep quiet and keep secrets and i and i feel that that's why my my distaste when my mom my mom would bring men around because i saw how insecure she was and she just wanted a man to pick her she wanted a man to come and help her lighten the load of raising these kids by herself and taking on the world alone. She wanted that partnership so badly. And I just didn't trust her to put her kids before her needs at the time, because I saw how deeply insecure she was. I saw how much she really, really wanted this idea of a of a man in a home. I, she would even say, oh, now I have a family because there was a man present, right? And so I feel like I carried a lot of that pain from my childhood. And it's like, I, you're not listening. It almost like I wanted to show, like you're not paying attention. You're not seeing what's happening right now, right? And I, I was afraid she, I couldn't trust her to make the choices that were beneficial for us because I can see her loneliness driving her decision-making, right? So knowing that early on, mom doesn't see me, mom doesn't know what's going on with me, Mom's not checking in with me. Mom is not attuned to me to know something's up, something's going on with my daughter, you know? And so I felt in my, the only way I managed to get her attention was when I was doing stuff for her. So when I could clean the house, if I helped with the meals, if I helped with the brothers, she'd be like, okay, great. Like she, she would ask me. And so I would get interaction, but I also saw it with through grades. I kept my grades up. I kept winning awards, kept accomplishing things, you know, straight A's, honor roll, you know, and she, I felt like it was her way of feeling like I'm doing something right. My kid is doing well academically. She's a a good kid. She doesn't get in trouble at school. She doesn't get into fights. Um, I'm obviously doing something right. And that gave me a little bit of certainty, like, okay, she's feeling confident in something, you know, like- Maybe if she builds her confidence and she feels good about herself as a mother, then then she won't feel the need to pursue men or have a man in her life because she feels like, no, I'm fulfilled. And I, that's my little girl way of thinking is that I, and I did it with my father too. I thought if I was just a good kid, if I got good grades and I did well, my dad would come back and he would be a dad to me. So it was this very performative, accomplishing way of handling my sadness. It's just like, just strive, just work, just go. Just do take care of others, take care of things, you know, do everything well, don't break the rules and all should be well. So that that's where my head was. It was more like, okay, what can I do? What can I achieve? What can I have in order to put my family back together?
0: Yeah. And you can just see the cycles, can't you? Because I'm sure if you look back at your mother and and her mother, she probably wasn't seen either or deeply connected with do you think is i mean you're saying that this is what's run running through generations in your family she probably had no idea how to really do some of those things
2: i don't think so i feel she had a lot of her own trauma that went unresolved when nobody talked about therapy and things like that in the past and you know just like in my immature mentality assuming that good grades And doing my chores and keep my room clean was going to merit the love and connection I wanted. It's no wonder that even a woman who's got kids and she's a whole adult assumes that all of my problems will get fixed if I'm in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. I just need to be, I just need to find this person and I will be complete. Right. And so until she found that person, she was just very hard to be around a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't think she knew. I don't think anyone knew their own power as feminines and yes. how it really all starts and ends with us anyway. <laughs> and I don't I I think if all women would heal and get to embody their divine feminine, their inner warrior, I feel that we get to raise daughters that not only feel seen with us and feel accepted with us as their mothers, but learn how to be good women, have safe women with each other.
0: Absolutely. What a beautiful world that's gonna be when that happens. <laughs> so so you were thrown out by your mother at 19. I mean, that's just a devastating moment in your life, isn't it? I can I can just feel like you you've done everything. You've tried to be this this perfect daughter really. And then as soon as a man turns up, you're you're thrown out what was that time like for you? Were you, were you ready to fight or, or did you kind of sink into a, a hole or, or, or how did you deal with that?
2: I was ready to do whatever I had to do to stabilize myself so that I don't have to go back. Mm-hmm. Like I would, you know, I, I from I remember the belief to myself, like, I believed that I valued myself and what I, who I am uh, was a person that I then, I was like, look what I, look what I've done in my young, my youth already. And like, I'm going to college. I was in college courses by then. I'm like, I have a job, you know, I have my own car. I didn't get pregnant in high school. You know, I've never been arrested. I've, I've, I've never stolen from her. I've never even raised my voice or cursed at her. My mom was very scary. And reactive. So I knew even if I wanted to smack my lips or slam my door, just like teenagers do, it was not allowed in my home. It was not because you would get a backhand quickly. Right. So I thought I never disrespected her. I don't, I don't do, I don't, I'm not, I don't get in trouble. I I have a job. I was working full time and going to school full time. So I was hardly home. Right. I was home to sleep and then I, and I had a relationship by then I was already dating. Who's now my husband, but so I, I, I was confused because I challenged you with your decision and the type of mind you, she didn't know what I had been through as a child. That's why I didn't trust men. And one of the men that had abused me was one of her boyfriends growing up when I was a little girl. So I didn't trust her choice in men. And I was trying to protect my little brothers at the time. And uh, so I was challenged, I was saying things other than what I needed to say, you know, I didn't have the courage to tell her then, but I wanted to tell her like, you, you, you can't bring these men around me. I've already fallen victim to your decisions and men, and I'm not going to go through it again. And I'm not going to watch my brothers go through it. Right. So I said everything but that Don, I just Mm -hmm. said like, I don't like this guy. This guy's not good for you. Mind you, he wasn't, he wasn't good for her at all. You know? But she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear it. And so I felt very, almost like, how dare you? <laughs> like, in my mind, knowing what I know, right? I'm like, I've already fallen victim to your decisions and men. I'm trying to protect my brothers, the very brothers that you've asked me to help you raise and take care of since I was 10 years old, right? I don't get in trouble. I've never been in a fight at school. I don't curse at you. I don't disrespect you. I have a job, I have a car. How dare you just throw me out because I disagree with this. and the the idea that she valued a man over her daughter, that was hurtful. But it feel like I said, it fueled a rage in me to, and it really lit a fire under me to do whatever you have to do so that you never can get kicked out of anyone's house ever again. You know, you kick me out once. Once and never again. You know, it's almost like that that level of heartbreak and betrayal. I decided then and there I will do whatever I have to do to take care of myself so that I never have to ask for anybody's help. And that's not a healthy way of being. That's actually what contributes to a lot of our detachment as women, you know, sometimes when we can't be in sisterhood and we don't know how to, that's how we have to learn to be in our soft girl era again, right? Learn to be to receive because for so when we've been wounded in those ways by our mothers the walls go up the fists go up you know you we get this hyper independence and it's all out of trauma it's all out of pain and wounding from the very person whose body we shared at some point mm-hmm. you know and that's and that's that's where my head was so i just did i just stuck my head to the to the grindstone i worked i found a place to stay i went to continue to going to school didn't ask my mom for a penny. And I just never looked back Been Mm -hmm. on my own ever since. Wow.
0: There's a lot of strength in you for, for that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, we find that strength, don't we? When we don't have another choice, like
2: when you don't have nowhere else, when there's no
0: other choice, it's like, well, this is it. I, I have to, I have to make this work, but, but how do you think that affected you and your relationships moving forward or your life? I mean, what were the beliefs that you held about yourself from that experience of growing up that you took forward?
2: The biggest one I took forward was feeling that me being vulnerable and needing something was, I I didn't like needing. I didn't like needing people. I didn't like needing help. I felt perfectly okay helping others, being there for others. But I judged myself harshly if I didn't, if I didn't have what I needed for myself, if I had to ask for help, that was hard for me. So I definitely put up a lot of walls around my heart and did not allow myself to ask for help, to accept help. Even when it was offered to me, it was very much like, no, I got it because I was afraid of being let down. I was afraid that that when you give people the opening that they know you need them and you let them help you, that they may either use that vulnerability against you, right? Or take a take credit for what you've done. Like, you have all of this because of me. I helped you with that. And I had such a drive of like, no, I'm going to do this for myself. My dad's not going to take credit for it. My mom's not going to take credit for it. No one's going to take credit for it. Everything I have is because of me. And that's where that's, so that put up a lot of walls. And did things the hard and long way for a long time, stubbornly in an effort to prove to the world that I didn't need anyone. So that's what it took. And, and my husband definitely in this, we dated for about six years before we got married. He definitely had to deal with a lot of, you know, just trying to understand why I was so hyper independent, why I was so offended by him wanting to help me and like wanting to be there for me. I was, I would always kind of look at him with a suspicious eye like why are you being so nice what why are you so kind and how come you're not getting angry at me right now like i was so used to the reactiveness of my upbringing that it was very dysregulating to be around somebody who was the polar opposite you know and yeah so i dealt with that in friendships too like i i wouldn't let myself get too close and the the times that i and i have experienced relationships and friendships not not romantic but friendships where i did let myself get vulnerable and get close to someone and then i was betrayed or i was heartbroken and so i would go back into my go back into my cocoon like nope see this is why i put my heart away in a little box this is why we don't let people in see this is why you know so i had that's what i carried for a very long time a very long time i've done a lot of healing and i'm not there anymore but yeah if i could if i could sit back across the table from you know 22 23 year old Michelle gosh she was she was a tough cookie to crack she was not someone who could easily get close to her you couldn't get close to her too much she, there was only there was always a arms length like okay no you're, you you stay there we're good right right there where you are that's that's enough you know yeah. um, and that's a very lonely place to be
0: oh yeah absolutely
2: was there an element of i suppose being
0: A child whose job is to look after everybody else did you did you have a sense of not knowing what your own needs were and and what you actually needed for yourself
2: I wasn't even aware of what I needed Mm. I was so busy working and trying to survive and trying to set myself up so I don't need anyone that I didn't really ask myself what I needed it wasn't until I felt a little bit stable I think I when I felt like I slowed down enough is when I became a mom. When I became a mom, all the old trauma started coming up. The anxiety, the depression, all that started to come to the surface. And that's when I said, "Oh, we 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 got to work this out. We got to talk to somebody." So I finally reached out for help. I started working with therapists. I worked with a few coaches, life coaches to unpack a lot of the trauma and the things I was experiencing. And I did that for about 11 years. Yeah, I did a lot of work. But yeah, I I didn't know what my needs were. It was always about work to set myself up to be okay, to survive, right? And not need anyone. (laughs) And then when when it became to the children, then it became about the children. Let's take care of the children, right? But I didn't really know what I needed. I had been so used to surviving, trying to survive. And before having to survive, it was about taking care of the house, taking care of the kids, you know, my brothers and my brothers and making sure mom was happy. Mm -hmm. So I never really, I never really knew how to ask. I mean, because think about it. If what I really needed, if I had been in touch with my emotions and be able to speak about what I needed, I would have talked about the abuse early on, but I was so used to, this is my problem this is a me problem. I can inconvenience others with my problem. So I'm just going to shut up. Right. And so I didn't, I was so used to ignoring what I needed because it was, it was scary to think Mm. about what I needed. Absolutely. And when you were thrown out at
0: 19, what was your relationship like with your mother after that? I mean, were you still in
2: contact? No, we actually went no contact for what felt like about a year. Yeah for about a year or so, we went no contact. And then my younger, my middle brother, he um, developed a addiction to crystal meth and got himself arrested. And my mom started to have those problems, right? With him. And that's when she re- reached out to me for help, for support, for under, you know, and I couldn't really be there for her. I was like, you know, I was, I was already engaged to be married. I finally got my own apartment, me and my husband, my soon to be husband, we were living a very calm life by then. And I did not want to get sucked back into the drama of her household. So I just told her, I I can't be your emotional support animal for this one. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to, sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm living my life. And I I had to, I basically in my vengeful way, I was very angry, still kind of gave her what she gave me, you know, Mm -hmm. throwing me out at 19, like you're going to have to figure it out. I said the same thing to her because she's a, she's a whole adult. I realized I was like, this is your whole adult and this is your son, not mine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I pretty much gave her back what she gave me, you know, I said, well, good luck with that, you know?
0: Yeah. And that, that was pretty much the end of your relationship.
2: We, no, we would, I would hear from her here and there, We but we didn't like spend a whole lot of time together and we we, we wouldn't spend any alone time. It was always in group function, group family stuff but it wasn't she and I were never like really close you know that I recall anyway I don't have any memory of her and I like having girl talk and talking about boys and you know school drama or clothing or fashion you know it was just not who we were Mm. she I don't think she had the bandwidth she's too busy working and trying to raise three kids on her own
0: and so that behavior that perpetuates the mother wound. It's modeled for us over generations. How do we begin to break those cycles for ourselves? What are the first steps to that?
2: First, we got to really call out what's really happening. You know, I feel that so much of our society has this ideology about motherhood, especially our culture, especially in in Latinidad and the BIPOC community. Its Mothers are the Virgin Mary. You can't speak of them in a bad way. They are perfect. And when you add the element of immigration, right? Like they came to this country with nothing to give you a good life, you know, and, and they didn't know what they didn't know. So you're not allowed to be angry at them. You know, you're, you should only be grateful. There's that you hear, no más tienes una madre." it just means like you have only one mother. Don't be like, you have one mother, Don't ruin the relationship with her. And that's not what we're trying to do. I feel like we need to come to a place in society where duality is okay. I love my mother, and yet I'm still allowed to feel a certain type of way about my childhood. I I appreciate everything my mother did for me, and I still feel that much of what she did was very toxic and traumatizing and hurtful right? You can have two things. I mean, there's no perfect being. And just because you do one good thing or a couple good things, it doesn't negate all the shitty things that you can do. (laughs) You know, it's humane to say, you know, I'm, I, I have a good heart and I do well for other people and I love to help. And I love to put good out in the world, but don't cross me because I also have this side of me that is petty, vengeful, has a mouth on her. I can be both you know, and to that's human. It's who, you know, we have sh- so many aspects to ourselves. And I feel that much of our upbringing in our culture is like, we can't speak ill of mom. Don't, don't bring it up. Don't, you know, don't question her, you know? And so that I feel that's where, that's where most of the women in our generation now are doing the healing for is they start up. No, we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Here's what my childhood was like. This is what it felt like. This was my experience, right. And deciding to call all this out because then. You can decide what what ends with you. It ends here. I am not continuing this in my life. I'm not going to continue this pattern with my children. I am choosing different. But how can you decide what you don't like anymore or what you're not willing to take with you if you don't feel it? You got to feel it to heal it. You got to talk about it. You got to understand it, analyze it, and, and be able to move that energy through your body in order to release it, to make space for other things like love and acceptance and connection. But that's where I feel the first step is, is to get clear on what is it that you're really healing? What type of, there's different mothering archetypes, right? There's different, there's teachings from your childhood that maybe don't align with you anymore. You know, is is, is your identity made up of your trauma? Are you just a walking wounded daughter? You know, who are you without the wound, right? So getting clear on what you're healing, I feel is the first Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And what are some of the common obstacles that you see women facing on their healing journey?
2: Okay, so for Latinas, we have the fear of the tias, that's the aunties, right? The tias or the primas, the cousins, the family catching wind of your not so perfect view of mom. This is why I created Heal the as a closed private group at first because there was this real fear. I can't, like, if I post it on Instagram, right? And it's an open forum, right? Instagram is an open forum. If I post on Instagram, women being afraid of commenting or liking or agreeing because they didn't want it to get back to their mom or their sister or their cousins that she's following me or she's agreeing or resonating with the content, right? So we had to create like a private area where women can go and talk about this openly, right? To the point where at one point we made it so that you can post anonymously if you didn't want your name or your face to be while you share something that you're unloading, right? Something that you are processing. So yeah, we do deal deal with that, dealing with the shame and the fear of addressing this wound, you know, because family members who thrive on the toxicity or don't want to talk about mental health, don't want to talk about the past, are, are going to ridicule you and shame you about that. Why are you focused on that? You didn't have a bad life. What are you talking about? You should mm-hmm. put your time and energy into something else. You know, sort of like this is there. There's still people in our culture who feel that therapy is a waste of time.
0: Yeah. So
2: so you have that. You have this, the, the lack of understanding and acceptance from your own culture and family for what, why you need to heal this, why it's so important, why you're going to spend time at this. Right. And then number two is not being able to have access to coaches or therapists that understand back when I was starting my, my journey, 11 years ago, I did not have a therapist that looked like me coaches that looked like me and understood me and understood my, my background. Now we're seeing more and more. Latinas in therapists, counselors, clinical psychologists, we're seeing more Latinas show up in curanderismo, which is like as medicine women, right? As holistic life coaches like myself. And it's getting easier now because now we have women in the room that look like us and make us feel like you get me, like you understand what I'm saying, because there are certain parts, I don't want to call them parts, maybe teachings in the mother wound healing space, that may work for some cultures, but not always for us. For example, you always hear that we'll just go no contact, just go no contact, right? Just set a boundary, right? And again, these are concepts that maybe in Anglo culture, very, very normalized, right? In Latino culture, you can't just cut off your mom. It's not very, it's not that simple. It's not that, it's just not. I know you could, you could block her number and everything like that, but just the, it, it's just not that simple. And I wish I could explain it other than it's like our blood, the blood that the, the, our ancestors blood that runs through our veins is like, it, it's almost like you can't just do this. <laughs> you need to figure it out. Like there has to be another way. You know, it's very, very hard, especially when you come from a culture that is very family oriented and we're, we're always getting it together. You know, there the the whole nuclear family is very, isn't always the norm. You know, we have the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the godparents, everyone's always together. And so it's not just, I'm not going to talk to my mom, but it might impact the way you connect to everyone. So there's, there's that under, there's that stuff. And then boundaries, there's no word for boundaries in Spanish. There's no translation. And so you can understand when we're trying to communicate a boundary to our Latina mother, who her, her native language is not English. She's not what? to her, it's an offense to her. It's, you're trying to push her away. And there's no, it's very difficult to explain to a Latina mother, why a boundary is there, why it's needed and why it's good for us both. Because to her, it's like, Nope, you know, you, you, you're pushing me away. You're rejecting me. Right. And the whole emotionally unintelligent version of mom's trauma starts coming through. All the narcissistic, oh, well, I guess I'm just a terrible mother, right? Everything I did and sacrificed for you didn't mean anything. I'm just a terrible person. Yep, just reject me, right? Like, who am I? You know, I'm just your mother. That's all, like, the, the guilt tripping. And the, they don't even know what they're doing, Don. They don't know what maternal narcissism is. They don't know what emotional intelligence is. They don't understand what they're doing, because all they know is this is the tactics my mother used on me. So I'm going to use them on you. Mm. And it got me to self-betray for my mother. So I'm going to ask you to self-betray for me. Mm. They don't realize the damage because it's all they know. You know, and I guess I can look at it through a little bit of grace now, because the ways that they were taught to raise a daughter, we are now in a generation where we're telling them that wasn't it. That wasn't it. I'm letting you know. I thought, no, you were taught to teach us purity culture, to teach us how to, you know, take want and try to keep a man and that our jobs are to become mothers and that we need to be all homemakers and all that. We're here to tell you that that's not, it's not it, right? And just like now we are being taught to gentle parent, to conscious parent, right? And maybe in 20 years when our kids are older, they might turn to us and say the same thing. That wasn't it. I wish you were a little more structured. I wish you were harder on me. I wish you pushed me more. Mm-hmm. You know, you were so like, well, whatever feels good to you or let's talk it through, you know, and I I don't, I don't like it. I'm <laughs> <Yes. laughs> allowed to say it, you know? And so this, and this is why I can now look at my mom and the ways that she moved in the world with a little bit of compassion, mm-hmm. a lot of compassion. Like you don't know any better. Yeah. You were taught. That this is how you're supposed to raise a little girl. And you also didn't have the luxury of connecting and having a soft moment with your daughter because you didn't know how to have a soft daughter moment because you never had them with your mom. You were living in survival mode. How could you possibly have the bandwidth, you know, to sit with your daughter and have a heart to heart about what's going on with her? Right. But to start healing to get to that. That isn't that isn't something that happens overnight, that level of understanding. I was deeply angry. And resentful for many years, many years. So I understand when, when some of the messaging I share makes some of the hijas feel like, no, I'm, I'm still angry. I'm upset. Well, she should apologize. Well, she should validate. She, she remembers how that, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that compassion should exist. That's fine. It really is. Cause I get it. Nope. You, you talked to me five, six years ago, I would have said the same thing. I don't have compassion for her. She should have known better. She's the adult. I'm the child. Should have known better. And that's true. I also don't have to carry the resentment. It doesn't doesn't no does me no good. Yeah. It fueled me for a while, but now it just drains me. So I let it go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So do you find that not so many women in these Latina cultures and the other cultures that you're working with go no contact then? Is that not part of the healing?
2: If they do, some of them have to. Some of them absolutely have to, especially if the dynamic is abusive. If we're talking about mothers that are still, like you're you're a grown daughter with your own rent you know, or your own family or your own, you know, you're out here doing you and you still have a mother that curses at you, throws things at you, raises a hand to you, expects you to take care of your 40-year-old brother still expects you to pay bills at her house, you know, stuff like that. There's a there's some extensive situations where we have no choice. It's either be abused, manipulated and and taken advantage of or not. And when a woman is healed enough and loves her loves her family, but loves herself more, then she's going to choose herself first and she will go no contact. If it's an absolute, right? But that's whether you're Latina or not. That's anyone. I would tell any person who is, you don't have to put up with that. You know, you don't, you really don't. That's not love that is draining you from your resources, your energy, your time, your money, you know, your, your compassion, you know, your willingness, you're now self-betraying in order to keep this relationship going in order to keep this family going, even keeping the peace, who's peace, Mm -hmm. who's at peace in this dynamic, right? So yeah, they, they, they are now more and more. Starting to go no contact if it gets to that. I mean, to the point where there was an article recently in Refinery29 that got a lot of traction where they were talking about adults, daughters basically breaking up with their parents because the daughters are healing and evolving and growing and learning and the parents are not. They're still treating their daughter as if she's eight years old and she's a whole 28 year old. She's a whole 38 year old and they haven't evolved with her they haven't gotten to see her as an adult a fellow adult and that's that's necessary because what a 28 year old needs from her mom is going to be different than when she was 8 she doesn't need a lecturer she doesn't need a disciplinarian she needs a friend understanding you know she needs wisdom from someone you know sometimes just an ear but if a mom is still trying to parent a 28 year old and she does it aggressively She's going to lose her child. If you expect her to stay around for your abuse, then you can't be upset with her when she stays in an abusive marriage. You can't be upset with her if she stays in friendships where she's taken advantage of consistently. She she learned it from you as her mother. So if if a Latina daughter has to go no contact, it's because it's for the best. And it's the most painful thing in the world. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. And women can put up with so much from a mother because they're, they're certain that at some point they're going to get the love that we're all told that that's what mothers do. Mothers love us. And we can continue for a lifetime trying to, to get that love from a mother. But in the end, you have to, you have to choose no relationship over a toxic relationship
2: if it's toxic yes um, yes if it's not super if mom has evolved in some ways and you can find a dynamic that works for you then you can build from there but it has to come through your own healing because mom's not healing she's going to be who mom is your healing gets to change how you connect to her how you view her what you even expect from maybe part of my my teaching with my clients is you become your own mother (laughs) You, you become your best internal mother. You heal your inner child. You start to mother your inner child the way you always needed to be mothered. Mm. You start to make decisions for yourself from the perspective of if I was your, if you were your mother and you watching yourself make these life choices, how would you guide her? How would you support her, right? And when you start to receive that mother energy from self and from source, I really rely on mother earth, Bacha Mama, you know, and, and to to provide maternal energy, then you don't seek it from mom anymore because she may not have it to give. So you just take her off the pedestal and be your own mother and look at her as a whole sister woman. Right. And that that changes the dynamic. But that's the evolution that I'm talking about. Not all mothers can look at their 30, 28, 38 year old daughter and have that same understanding because they're not healing. Mm -hmm. If they were healing or they were doing their work they would come to an understanding like wow i you know the time's passed she's not a little girl anymore the more i try to parent her and try to get back maybe the years that i that i lost with her cuz i couldn't give her one maybe now i have the bandwidth now i do cuz i'm not in survival mode i'm older she's she's not eight anymore yeah you got to so, you got to meet her where she is and then tell the daughters the same thing i know you you're like no i'm i'm good now like i'm healed i'm ready to like spend time with mom and I want us to be close and I want us to be this and I want us to be that. And it's like, okay, but just because you're there, doesn't mean she is. And maybe she can't give you what you want. Just got to understand that this is where she is. And this is where you are. And you're just two women that came here on your own life paths. And you have your own soul purpose here to understand and self master yourself. You're not here to point out, fix, blame each other. Yeah. you Yeah. Know? And, I, and I tell clients often, remember your your mom, she was a whole person before you got here. She was a whole woman. Do you know anything about her? Do you know who her first kiss was? What was your first heartbreak? Who was your childhood best friend? What did she dream of doing when she was a little girl? Do we really know them? We don't. All we know is them as mom. So true.
0: So true. So you mentioned there about reclaiming that inner child. What does that look like for somebody who's
2: starting that journey? reclaiming the playfulness the innocence reclaiming play joy pleasure you know the things that you all the things you wanted to have as a as a child that you didn't maybe didn't get to experience fully right is being able to reclaim that inner version of yours that little girl version of yourself and be able to see yourself with gentleness and nurture and love again right and rather than uh, because a lot of the things that we are learning is how we are difficult And we are stubborn and we are selfish, but these are all things that our mothers may have said to us. We didn't think these things. We heard these things. And so we assume that's who we are. But when you wouldn't look at five-year-old little Dawn and be like, you are selfish, inconsiderate. You are, you are just a bad person. You wouldn't say that to sweet little five-year-old Dawn. And I feel that doing the inner child work of reclaiming her and bringing her back to you and letting her be a part of your adult life not only changes the way you speak to yourself and about yourself but the way that you create boundaries in the life that you have around yourself now cuz it's kind of like being pregnant with your baby self again i got to watch what i eat i got to make sure i get enough sleep i'm going to take a break and do some coloring i got to plan some play plays play needs to be a part of it of my life now right and all the things but if you're year old self loved a certain color or certain texture and she's you know she never could have it or maybe she always wanted a certain type of dog or cat and she never could have it you get to give it to her now so it's reclaiming that that innocence and taking her energetically taking her out of that painful childhood and letting her see and be a part of the life that you have now kind of telling her like look at the life I created for us here you get to do all those things color. You could take a nap. You don't got to take care of anyone. See these kids that we have in here. You don't have to take care of them. You get to be a kid. These are my kids. That's my responsibility, not yours.
0: That's so beautiful. So beautiful. I love that so much. And
2: I think when we are
0: letting go of a mother, we have to be aware that there is a grieving process, isn't there to that? And that's, that's something to work through as well, isn't it? The grief of of the mother that we might have to let go or even just the grief of the mother that we will never really know or yes. never really experience in the way that we, we would love to have a mother.
2: Yes. I actually share this as one of the modules in my course that's coming out when I called it mourn the mother, because the more that we look at mom and want her to be this other thing this other fantasy idea. And the more she fails at being of living up to that, it just adds to the resentment. It's just like putting another brick in the wall between you two. Right. And truthfully, we're setting her up to fail because this is our fantasy. She never said, that's who I want to be. That's the kind of mother I want to be. We're projecting our fantasy onto her from our wounded place. Now, mind you, it comes out of our wounding, right? Because we're this little girl, which is this little girl that wants to be held by this mother that is soft and sweet and nurturing and looks into my eyes and tells me that I'm the most precious thing in the world and that I make her whole life meaning, give her whole life meaning and that she, there's nothing I could do that could keep her from loving me. Yeah, that's all we want, right? But we don't know what type of mother she set out to be or she thought she needed to be. We're projecting that idea from a wounding because if we had it, if we had that, we wouldn't have the wounding. We didn't get it. So that's why we create this fantasy. And a lot of these fantasies come from characters we see in movies, on TV shows, in books. But sometimes, and this is the most painful one, is when we see it in women that we actually, like maybe our friend's mother, our mom's sister, maybe. Like, gosh, why didn't I get her as my mom? that kind of thing, you know, could be very painful, but either way, no matter where you get that fantasy, that idea, mom never said that that's what she wanted. So we're projecting onto her, expecting her to be this. And then she fails every time. And every time she fails, it breaks our heart. So we're actively breaking our own heart. We're participating in our own pain. And so I feel that mourning that idea does two things. It takes that mold that takes that picture frame away from mom. So you're no longer trying to have her fit this frame, but then it gives you a bit of an understanding of what you can do to, for your inner child, be that you become those things for your inner child, for yourself. Mm. And it works both ways. I say this to the mothers as well, that I've worked with, you have this idea about your daughter that you think she should be, you want her to be married to this type of man, have this type of career, have these many children practice this type of faith. And live two blocks from you. This is your idea that you've projected onto her. What if she doesn't want to be with a man? What if she decides she doesn't want to practice Catholicism or Christianity? Or what if she wants to live out of state? What if she chooses motherhood isn't for me? I'm not having children. This is her life. Mm -hmm. And the more that you project onto her and place on her this frame of what you want out of her, you're setting her up to fail. She's never going to be that. And what we're both doing to each other in this is we're not seeing who we really are and getting to a place of accepting who we really are, because when you accept it, then you can be a part of it. I tell moms with their daughters, you don't like that. She's gay. You're not going to get invited to the wedding. You're not going to be a part of the holidays. If they choose to adopt one day, guess who's not going to have a play, a play in that you're going to miss it. You're going to miss a whole life because you don't, you don't agree and you. she didn't fit this mold that she never told you she wanted for herself. You decided that for her, then set her up to fail. And I would say the same thing to the daughters. You are projecting onto her what you think she should be. But if she's not that and she's never going to be that, how could she possibly earn your love? We're setting each other up for more wounding when we continuously expect something other than who we are from each other. Instead of learning to accept, this is the limitation of what my mom can give me. This is what she has. This is it. And to me, it might be, well, that's not enough. But if she's saying, this is all I have, I promise you, I promise you, if I could give you more, I would, but this, this is all I have. And I hope it's okay for you. Mm -hmm. And with a daughter, it's the same. It's like, mom, this is who I am. (laughs) And I'm never going to be anything else Mm -hmm. or anything close. And I would just wish you could see me. And start to accept me. And when we can get to that level of acceptance and just like stop trying to change each other, so much connecting and healing can occur.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's just so clear, isn't it? The way you've just described that. It's just all the expectations, all the judgments, everything that we think has to happen in a certain way. Just putting it all aside. I love that so much because you have two beautiful daughters yourself now. And what has that mothering journey been like for you? You've had this example of a mother and you've been holding this mother wound yourself. And how has the journey been as a mother for you?
2: It's been both beautiful yet triggering at the same time, duality, right? It's been an opportunity to do things differently. It's been an opportunity to give my children the home I always wanted. I just wanted a home where it was safe. I wanted a mom and dad together that a mom and dad that loved each other and genuinely liked each other as people. I also really craved while we were a big family, I always craved sort of the um, privacy of a nuclear family. I always wished there was stuff that just we did. Mm-hmm. Right. I loved doing things with grandma and, the, and my uncles and aunts and my cousins and all that great. But we, I don't have any memories of just a vacation with my mom and my dad, just night, you know, nights at home watching a movie with mom and dad. It was always a big group of people. And so I just remember thinking, I'm gonna give my kids that. And we've done that. My husband and I both come from really harsh childhoods. So we both decided it ends with us. We're going to do it different. And so we're, we give our kids the beauty of having the reality childhood that we didn't get. However, that didn't come with a lot of triggering moments, Mm. you know, because you're unlearning and deprogramming the trauma out of your nervous system as you're parenting the very people that are re-triggering your trauma system. Mm. And It looks something like, for example, if I was a child or any of us were children and we spilled something, Let's say we spilled a drink or we broke something, something fell and it broke. We would get punished. We would get you screamed at. We couldn't make mistakes, right? And so when my children spilled or broke something or a loud noise would come out of somewhere, the nervous system reaction, the triggering that comes from that. And I'm actively looking around for who's going to yell at them. That's what you already, you're like, oh shoot, we're going to get in trouble. And I had to remind myself, wait, this is my house. This is my house. Oh, my husband's not going to freak out because something broke. No one's going to get punished because we spilled something. And I, my heart rate is going up. You know, my blood is boiling. It's pumping. But externally, I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. No big deal. But the, it, it's an actual fight in yourself because your inner self is waiting for the reaction. But your adult self is saying, these are little ones here. They doing what little ones do. They sometimes spill. They sometimes break things. There's that. But also, when they do start getting sassy, you know, I could never get sassy with my mother. I could never raise my voice at her or smack my lips and slam my door to my bedroom. And there was none of that. So when my kids were starting to get a little sassy, it was challenging. Right? Challenging, you know, because I sometimes was like, I wish my mother were here because <laughs> I bet my mother would get these girls all the way together. I don't want to yell at them. I don't want to curse at them. I don't. So I had to learn other ways of communicating. But a lot of times it also requires me to step away because I'm still calming my nervous system. I'm calming my nervous system because I and I have to go to my husband and be like, I need a break. I need a break. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to crack. Right now, because what I want to do is what my mother would have done, but I know it's not going to help. And I don't want them to be afraid of me. Like my I was afraid of my mother. That's why I never told her about my abuse. I was afraid of her. I was afraid she would blame me, not believe me, punish me. And I never want my children to be afraid of me. So yeah, parenting has been a dance, a delicate dance of learning, growing, creating a new way but still being actively faced with the very things that traumatized you.
0: Yes, that's a perfect description, isn't it? <laughs> that's a perfect description of exactly what it's like parenting um, as, you know, as you're trying to heal yourself or battle that trauma. It's, it's such a journey. It's such a journey. You created Heal other to help women heal their Latina mother wound. How did that come about? How did it, how did it eventuate?
2: I started my business five years ago, initially as a career coach. I had you know, written a book on imposter syndrome and being a first gen Latina and being the youngest per only, and usually the only woman and only person of color in a room, you know, in my corporate life. And I had built a good career despite those things. And I wanted to write a book and help other women do the same because I wanted more Latinas in positions of power and influence in, in organizations. I wanted more women at the table. And so I, that's how I started my business. But a couple of years in is when I realized that a lot of the issues that I was still struggling with because I had achieved so much, you know, I got my degrees, bought the big house, the fancy car. I got the six figure salary. I got the fancy title, my husband, my children. I should be happy. W- why aren't I happy? And I, I finally realized that I just had a lot of work to do internally. And it took me a while. I was so angry at my dad and being a support system of my mom, like both of us angry at dad for leaving us, that I never really took the time to look at her for a while. I knew there was a problem. I knew we had friction. I knew we weren't good. I knew we just tolerated each other but there was more to it that i felt i needed to unlock so i started going to therapy behind the scenes didn't tell anybody other than my husband and started working on it and then one time i was just like i'm i feel like a fraud like i'm not sharing openly my a part of myself that is very important so i shared one day through my email campaign for all my subscribers you know i have a confession to make i have a mother wound that i don't talk about because our culture will slash me in half if I talk about this. And so I've been afraid. That I, I'm sharing this. That me and my mom don't have a perfect relationship. And I have a lot of healing to do. And I said, you know, if you're offended, you're welcome to unsubscribe, unfollow. But this is my truth. And I just needed to say it out loud. So I sent it off. Didn't look at my emails for a whole weekend. I went away on a weekend with one of my friends. And then the very last day of that weekend trip, I looked at my email and I had responses from other women that were following me that were like, me too, me too. I still get emotional. And they were like, where can we go? Where do we go? So I created it. Yeah. Wow. I created a, a private group. And I said, here's where we can go and we can talk about this. In a non-judgmental safe space and we're gonna figure this out together. I'll tell you everything I've learned up to that point. I think that was five years ago. So I've been on my journey about six years. I so said I'll tell you everything I've learned. And if you know more, share. But here's where we can be and share openly and talk about it. So that's why I pivoted my company right right after that and created Healed Ehas.
0: So beautiful. What a what a gorgeous organic beginning and so what is your unique way of helping women what are you doing
2: I bring the approach of healing through not just holistic and life coaching practices but our and our ancestry I feel has a lot of the healing codes a lot of the things that our ancestors just knew and that's why they lived so much more connected and vulnerable and and authentically is because they weren't programmed by the capitalism of the United States. They weren't programmed by the patriarchy and the religious indoctrination of a lot of our parents that came to this country. And we have to go back to those roots. We have to reconnect with Mother Earth. We have to reconnect with the simplicity of tribalism and connection and being together and being respectful of the divine feminine again, instead of trying to pursue the approval of men, you know, I felt like we need to go back and really unlock our DNA codes and bring that forward. So my my unique approach is not just life coaching practices, but spirituality and reclaiming who you are in your ancestral lineage with ancestral wisdom and practices. Because you're more than just your mother's daughter. You are a descendant of Divine feminine women before you and your your sole purpose here isn't simply just to figure out why you and your mom aren't connected. There's so much more for you to figure out and master. you know and so letting women open up to that understanding and holding their hand to that divinity really takes the pressure off of the mom situation. I call it out, you can understand it, but then take your place as the daughter. Always. You are the daughter. You are not the fixer. You are not the parent. You are not the one responsible for figuring why out what everyone, no, you are the child. You are the daughter. You will always be the daughter and your responsibility is just to you and who you bring forth. Right. Mm-hmm. So that might, my, my, that's a long winded approach, but yeah, it's just so much more than just here, read this book and understand why your mom was difficult and mm-hmm. Mm. do with that information, what you may, you know, we actually have practices and journeys that we go on um, energetically to help move some of that stagnant energy. Sounds
0: incredible. And so if somebody wants to get involved with what you're doing, what, what
2: are you actually offering right now? Well, I have two digital guidebooks that people can download and um, go through at their own pace. I have the Healing EHA Accelerator. It's a guide for like the first few steps, you know, the first few important steps, in my humble opinion, that you should take when you're first starting out on your healing path. And then I have the Reclaim Your Inner IHA. and that is a course to do inner child work. And I, both of them come with some ancestral medicine type of wisdom to be able to use, you know, some practices that you can do at home. And then I do also one-to-one coaching, right? But very soon, we're going to be launching our first group coaching course, because the one element that I feel is even bigger is sisterhood. I feel that sisterhood is healing, especially in the Latina mother wound healing journey, because a lot of our inability to be in connection with other women is because our mothers taught us that women aren't to be trusted, that women are, are competition and that women aren't safe. And my goal is to not only heal myself, but be there to help with others in their healing so that we can be safe women. The type of safe woman that says, you know, I don't want your man. I don't want your job. I don't want your life. I want what I want us both to thrive. I want to celebrate you and then pick you up when you're down or hold space for you when you are going through a moment, right? But I also want to be the one to remind you who you are when you're ready to come back up, right? I want, I want to be a safe woman and I want to be around safe women, women who are so secure, so accepting of who they are that it's electric when we're together and that's the thing that we don't get to experience always and I feel like with the group coaching it's like combining what I've shared one with my one-to-one clients but now they're not alone they get to share it with a group of other women that are going through the same experience and be able to glean off one another to be a witness to each other's coming home to themselves now oh, that sounds
0: absolutely incredible how beautiful for anybody that's going to be involved with that. And so where can where can women find you?
2: You can find me on my website at michellemgomez.com or find me on Instagram at mgwarriorwoman. We do have a wait list that we've started for the inaugural cohort, our very first cohort. So we will be, you're welcome to message me on there and ask to get on the wait list. And those on the wait list will get first, first knowledge of when the cohort is open. So that they could fill the first few spots that are made available. We're not going to have a huge cohort to start. I do, I do feel that having a fixed amount of people really helps with the intimacy of what we're speaking of, what we're talking about. And sometimes when you're in a room with, you know, 200 people, it could be overwhelming. It could be hard to be heard, you know, when you're when you have to compete for time with so many people. So we're being very strategic and conscious over the size of cohorts that we bring in before we close. So if you want to be one of the ladies that gets one of those spots, you can get on the wait list and we'll open it up to our wait list for a week privately before we open it up and launch to the rest of the world who wants to take the remaining spots.
0: Mm, Okay. Well, I will put those links in the show notes so that you can access all of that information. Can I just ask you, Michelle, Michelle, what do you want for your own daughters? What is the, the main thing that you wish for them?
2: My response to that question, I love this question, by the way, but my, my response could be a little bit controversial. I want to raise dangerous women. A woman who can't be knocked off of her own self-worth is dangerous. A woman who can't be manipulated and controlled is dangerous. A woman who can't be stripped of her self-worth, her divinity, and her power she's dangerous. A woman who doesn't need another person's approver or validation to be who she is, she's dangerous. Mm-hmm. A woman who accepts all of her parts, her shadows, her angelic side, her sensual side, her creative side. If she knows and accepts all sides of her, then no one can offend her. No one can break her down. Even if they try to say something negative, like you're petty or you are, you are judgmental. I know. And, (laughs) you know, she knows this about herself. She can work on it when she's ready. She knows. You can't tell her about herself because she self-masters and studies herself to the point where she has zero attachment to pleasing or fitting in or molding into somebody else's agenda of who they think she needs to be. So my goal is to raise dangerous women.
0: I love that so much. I love that so much. Yes, that's what we need to be, dangerous women. It's just so clear everything that comes from those relationships with our mothers and everything that you're doing is, is just truly inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been an honor to spend this time with you. Thank you for opening this container to have these conversations. I, I deeply and humbly uh, appreciate it.
0: Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at My Big Love Project, and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious, and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.